0: Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. When I saw this video, I couldn't help but to watch it again. (laughs) The good news is I think this is staged. I think this is staged. The bad news is in some way I think we can all relate to something like this have you ever put so much into something to find out that it was wasted maybe it was uh, destroyed or maybe it maybe it was something that was worthless in the long run you look back you know <laughs> One one time, this is years ago, uh, my wife and I actually, um, we went on a short-term missions trip and we'd done this a bunch of times throughout college. Went with a group uh, with Habitat for Humanity and we traveled down to Tennessee and uh, when we would go on these trips, it was like a a week or so during spring break and we would partner with the homeowner and a local contractor in Habitat for Humanity and we would actually sometimes build a, a house from the ground up. You know, and the contractor would oversee what we were doing. And, and, uh, and it was just, it's a, it's a powerful ministry, actually. And, but this year, we get down to Tennessee is where we were going. And the contractor and the organization was not as friendly with the college kids. And so they, I, in my mind, I guess what their plan was, was just to basically keep us busy. And so there was a giant mound of fill, of dirt. And our task was to wheelbarrow it across the street to another house that they were building. And of course, we're eager to get involved. And so we start filling up these wheelbarrows and running it across the street. And this is hard work. This is going on for more than a day, okay? This is a couple of days now. And then after we're all finished, it's like the third or fourth day when it's done. Sometime throughout the day, I look over and in comes a giant front loader and scoops this entire thing up in one scoop and proceeds to wheel it across the street and dumps it almost right where it was. I could not believe it our team was so frustrated here we had given so much time and energy we had raised the money and put a lot of our own money into it and traveled all the way down to Tennessee and all of our efforts was worthless worthless now imagine for a minute you all felt this way before You've all gotten into something like this before. And imagine for a minute, you're at the end of your life. And you're looking back. And all that you've built, you think, what's it for? What value did it add? Is it lasting? Does my life really count? Is it worthwhile? Or will you look back and have this feeling like it's all over? Today we're continuing our study of Psalms, and we're going to be looking at Psalm. 127. And I believe that Psalm 127 answers this question Does my life count? Does my life count? And it answers this question by giving us the wisdom that we need to make sure that our life does count. Psalm 127, if you're using one of the Bibles here at church, it's on page 518. 518. Now this psalm that we're reading today, it's actually a pilgrim's song. And so uh, uh, back in the ancient Near East in in Jerusalem, people would make pilgrimages during uh, festivals and and times of worship. They'd come into the city uh, to go to the temple and celebrate the Lord, and as they're coming in, they would sing uh, a collection of songs. that this song was a part of and oftentimes these songs were um, songs of wisdom and songs of promise and of course this particular song is showing the exact way to make sure that your life counts that your life is not worthless Let's read this together, Psalm 127, starting there in verse 1. It says this Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we... We come before your word here, Lord, and we ask that you would open up our hearts, Lord. Thank you so much for your word, for its truth, Lord, that is without error. And Father, we, we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would teach us, Lord, that none of us here would leave unchanged. Lord, that you would speak to the very specific things that need to happen in our lives, Lord God. And draw us near to you. Lord, I know that I am inadequate as a teacher. We need you. We need your spirit. Lord God. And so we call upon you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you, you, you can't read this passage and not see that it's divided up. You know, the first... Uh, two verses there kind of give us this idea of, of, of uh, building and, and, and watching and, and relying on the Lord. And then it transitions into this discussion about children. And it almost seems disconnected, but it's not. So hold your horses, we'll get there. I want to rip it apart kind of uh, starting in the first section and then moving into the second section. And I think it'll make a little bit more sense This first half, Solomon is showing us that we need to be aligned to God's endeavors. He's not suggesting that we rely on the Lord to the extent that we don't do any work, but he's calling us to align ourselves to God's projects, to God's endeavors, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And even trying to protect it and groom it and make sure that it's okay, it's all in vain unless the Lord is the one who it was built on. And so, this passage is referring to giving yourselves over to His program, His plan, His projects, His purpose in your life. Because, after all, what is really valuable? It's that which lasts. I think we're sick of pouring ourselves into the things that are temporary. We like to do it at first. It looks good. And so we dump all of our money into our homes. And we invest all of our time into our jobs. And in reality, these things are just temporary. They bring no lasting satisfaction. And I don't think this is suggesting that we don't work that we don't build our house, that we don't invest in things around us, no. He's suggesting that all these things need to be aligned to God. They need to be His projects, His endeavors. Our house, our jobs, our families, our ministries, our schoolwork, all these different things, they need to be his. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're actually God's workmanship, that he has created us. We're his masterpiece for good work. And this Is what the psalmist is referring to this good work it's God's work what does this look like I want to give you a little bit of a rubric so that we can make it we can make wise decisions about what we're doing here and you see this rubric in uh, Philippians chapter 4 Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 it says whatever is true whatever is honorable this is this is the work we need to be doing whatever is just Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Friends, our purpose, our mission is the projects of God, the building of His church. Romans 10 tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Lord needs to be our everything. We got to stop putting him on the sidelines and bring him up to the front lines. We got to stop putting him in the back seat and put him in the front seat, give him the wheel. That we're not just aligning our projects to him, but that we're jumping in to his projects. Now oftentimes we jump into good things, right? And I've seen this in my own life even. Some of the ministry here that that goes on at the church, a lot of times it's for my, my own will. It's for my own benefit. And I chase after things and it's exhausting at times that really aren't what God would want. And sometimes... We see this in the world, like one time we went on this missions trip and um, we were in Minneapolis and I remember being defeated because we, we were working with this organization and it was, it was supposedly, at least at the time, a Christian organization. And they had like an after school club and they had a ministry for coats to try to make sure everybody that needed a coat, coat, a kid that needed a coat in Minneapolis, they were going to make sure it happened. They had different kind of uh, uh, teaching and things for uh, the community as you could come and learn life skills and stuff like that. It was a neat program but our kids were there and they were they were doing some uh, uh, help with their kids club and they started talking about their faith and they were told that they could not talk about their faith and they came back to me and they started complaining about this and our kids were actually really sneaky at the time they were writing messages on their fingers uh, that Jesus loves you or something like that and then when you put them together like this the the kids could read them you know (laughs) and I said but I went in and talked to the director, and I asked her, like, why, why can't we talk about our faith, you know? And is, is it the, the sign up front says, you know, Christian Organization, you know. And I can't remember the exact name of the, the place, but, and she says, yeah, well, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were doing the most good, and we needed better funding, and so we, we, most of our funding now comes from the government, and we're not allowed to share our faith, And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, we did this because we really need to be doing the most good. And I, oh, okay. And so I, I turn around and I'm walking out the door, and I'm I'm thinking, the most good. Wow. Wouldn't it's nice that every kid gets a coat. Wouldn't it be great if every kid got a coat and the gospel? Is it possible to do both? That every kid has the opportunity for an after-school club and hears about the savior of the universe? That you can have a relationship with a God that will forgive you of your sin, that will pull you not only out of poverty, but give you life everlasting. What worth is our work, is our philanthropy? What worth is the good we do in the community if Jesus isn't preached? It's investing in the temporary. And it's not putting God on the front seat It's throwing him to the back seat. Never be satisfied with the temporary. Never be satisfied with Jesus in the back seat. Always make sure that what we are doing is not only good and honorable, but it's also praiseworthy and filled with the message of the gospel. I'm not talking about beating people up. You're going to hell. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living a life like Jesus lived. All the miracles and service that Jesus did was calculated efforts so that he could reveal himself, so that he could show that he is the light of the world, so that when he would die and raise again from the dead, And the apostles and the disciples witnessed this. That the world was ripe. That the area was ready to hear the message. And on the day of Pentecost, the apostles stand up there and preach the message of the gospel. And thousands and thousands of people came to trust him. We have to get on board with God's work, with his endeavors, with his projects. This is what's going to bring you value. This is what's going to prove to you and to the world around you that your life meant something. I have an an example, I believe, of of a a family using their lives, using their resources, using their job, using their home as God's work. Um, And you may have met them last week when we talked about our missions trip uh, with the student ministry in Chicago. This is Mario and Julia, and they are church planners um, in Chicago. And this is the way it started. Um, they uh, were going to church somewhere across town, and it was a good distance from their house. And one day, Mario's just overwhelmed. He's like, I have this house. God's given me this house. This is their words telling me the story. God's given me this house, and, and I, I need to use it for, for God. I need to use it for his projects. And so they begin inviting people over to their house for coffee and Mexican bread. I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds fantastic. And next thing you know, they start saying to these people that are coming over the neighborhood, "Hey, next week we're going to have a uh, Bible study. We'll talk a little bit about what we believe in, you know." And and so they start having these Bible studies, and they keep inviting people over to their house. And the next thing you know, they've they got a congregation on their hands. And a church is born and ministry is happening. And I I was, we got a chance to partner with them and do some neat stuff for them in the community to raise awareness of what they're doing there. But they are a beautiful example of giving their lives over, their resources I hear this all the time. Well, my house isn't big enough or, well, I don't know that I have enough time. These, they're not professional ministers in some way. They, They both have jobs. They consume a lot of their time and family and responsibilities. More than likely, their house is smaller than an overwhelming majority of us here. It's a beautiful home. I'm not trying to doubt it. I'm just saying that we have to put these things in perspective. All that we have, all that we are, it needs to be God's projects. We don't make Jesus a part of our lives. He has to be our life. Do you see the difference there? That's what this passage is talking about. You can labor and labor and labor and it's all worthless in the end. Look what it says in in verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest. So you work all day and you want to make it happen. And so you stay up even later to make sure that it happens. But it's in vain. Eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Now that last line there. Actually, as I was looking forward to this, looking through this, I was... Struggling over what exactly he was trying to say there and another over further study I think that this translation I'm no Scholar here, but I, I am satisfied with telling you that I think a better translation Would be to use the word sleep. There is not a verb or it's not a noun, but an adverb and 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 that word that is used there uh, oftentimes in the hebrew is uh an adverb and when you read hebrew poetry they 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 kind of give a point and then they kind of give a a contrasting point and kind of finishing what he's saying and and so even contextually it would be better translated and this is what the niv suggests in that translation in a footnote it says this uh, for while they are sleeping he provides for those he loves. For while they are sleeping he provides for those he loves. And so you see this idea of people giving all their time, giving all their effort and doing everything they can to make sure that they get the work done that's meaningful and everything that's going on in their lives they try to carry this all and in reality It's worthless, and if they would have just trusted God and gone to bed, he could get more work done than all the hours that they were awake while they were sleeping. God even works while you're sleeping. What he's saying here is maybe you are trying to Put your trust in God and put your endeavors in him and you're trying to make sure that you're doing his projects. But you can't then try to do all the work on your own efforts. It's gotta be him to do the work. We've gotta trust him to do the work. If not, and many of us have experienced this, you're eating the bread of anxious toil. You ever feel the weight of the world? The pressures of your family, the pressures of your schoolwork, the pressures of fitting in in high school and junior high, the pressures of, of relationships, the pressures of of work, and making a name for yourself and not looking like an idiot. All these different things, some of these things, very noble things. It collapses us because we're trying to do the work and we're not trusting God with the work. That's the source of anxiety. It's the source of depression. All of our sights are inward. Me, me, me what I can do, what I don't have, what I do have, what I can take care of, what I can't take care of, the weights that I'm carrying. But freedom is in looking out to a God, a great God, more than capable, and trusting him that as we faithfully walk with him and follow him that he will get the work done. Now I I heard this example. I've never actually been in a hot air balloon, but I, I I saw this wonderful illustration of this and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this. So here's a picture of a hot air balloon. Has anyone ever ridden in a hot air balloon? I mean, very cool people in our congregation. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to ask you this question. You can just yell it out, okay. When you're up in a hot air balloon, what's the weather like? Is it windy? No. It's, no. No. it's not windy, no. not at all, no. which is really mind-blowing. You would think when you're up in the sky that you'd feel the wind blowing all around you and everything, but it's not like that because you, you go up and you become the wind. And that's how its direction, that's how you move. That's how you go from one place to the next. And I had a huge rabbit trail this, this week. I know everything there is to know about hot air balloons. So if you're interested, come talk to me. But to save some time here, the hot air balloon being in the basket is like trusting It's like trusting in your heavenly Father to move in the direction that you're supposed to be moving. And so it's at peace up there. Yes, you're moving forward. But there's a rest to it. There's a peace to it that's very different when you're trying to do the work on your own. Imagine stepping out of that basket and instead of floating... You, you take on skydiving. And the wind is violent, your hair's flying. It's like the anxiety taking over your life. And guess what? If you're not relying on the Lord, you're not even moving forward. We need to trust Him, get in that basket, experience the peace. Of being secure in his will and in his work. A friend of mine, a, a Christian family, uh, he grew up in a household with a contractor. His dad was a contractor. And if you know anything about contractors, oftentimes they spend all their time, they, they have like a 10 million projects going everywhere and it's extremely stressful. And a lot of times they're, they're, they're just working really late and, and, and working on the weekends and working to get everything done, you know. And this guy, his dad had an interesting, he was always home every night at six o'clock because he believed that his work was important but he believed that God in the end was the one who was doing the work and was the one providing for the family. And so he could rest. He could take off and he could come home at night. And you know what? They were always provided for and his children were provided for and all of them are successful today because he was able to put his trust in him to climb into that basket. Do you know that God designed us to sleep? It's almost mind-blowing that one-third of your life is spent unconscious. Why is that? I think God's humbling us He wants us to see that we aren't capable of doing it. We need him. We need to rest in him. We've got to put ourselves in a humble position. I wanna get uh, a little personal here and I gotta be quick with my stories. Um, and I tell you this because I, I think a lot of times we think of pastors as like supermans and, um, I'm no superman. Um, and, um, we talk about, I, I cried over this passage this week and I promise I won't do it again. I can't make that promise. Um, but, uh, when I think about eating the bread of anxious toil I've I've tried to give my life to what is right. I've tried to to jump out there and and take risks for God, you know. And um, I've even prayed, Lord, you know, use me how you want to use me. And um, you got to be careful when you pray pray that, you know. And uh, this past fall was was the most difficult time in my life. And I had a, many of you know, this year, we had a kid. We, we have a three-year-old, and th- they're crazy. <laughs> so we have a, a newborn. We have a th- three-year-old, and we adopted a teenager. And I'm super excited about it all these opportunities, okay, and this this is, and then we decided to move and buy a new house that needed some pretty serious renovation, and if you asked me, like, oh, do you think you're Superman? No, I would be like, I'm humble, you know, but by the time the fall came around, I didn't even see it happening. I was really messed up. And I went to bed one night, and it was like my heart was coming out of my chest. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I like the bacon, but I'm only 36 years old at the time. (laughs) And so I go to the doctor, and he's like, well, this sounds really kidding. they did EKG and they did you know well we don't find anything wrong with you what's going on in your life right now and I start telling him he's like oh <laughs> <laughs> buddy I think this is anxiety I says what and I I can't I never truly understood, and I've prayed for many people here at the congregation, and I've dealt with people even in my own family and stuff like that, struggling with anxiety and stuff like that, but I never realized just how much anxiety can really mess you up. It can, it can floor you. It can make you sick, and I trusted the doctor, and I followed his, um, his prescription for me, and and this is one thing that I did. I immersed myself in the truth of the gospel. That whole Philippians 4, 8, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is good, whatever is right, I like just ate it. I got rid of everything, no TV, no, I couldn't listen to the news. It was like depressing, it just ripped me and I'm a news guy. I, I just, I just, every moment I could, I filled my head with things that were of God. I clinged to my small group and sought after godly counsel over and over again. And what I realized, okay, is that I thought, literally, I, I've never given lip service to this. I don't even know that I was cognizant enough to tell you this then. But I literally thought, that I could hold it all together. I'm a smart guy. I can work through the problems of, of, of teenage life and the problems of a three-year-old and the problems that my wife has. and the pro- I could work through all these things and get no sleep at night. I, I actually believe this. And I'm a fixer. People come to me with their problems. If you want sympathy, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> I'm going to fix it. And the reality is, friends, I got sick over trying to do God's work. I wasn't humble enough to trust him when I couldn't fix it. And guess what? Things are better, but my house is still a circus. (laughs) But I had to get in his basket And trust him. And it wasn't just a conscious choice. It 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 wasn't just a mindset. It was action. I had to run after him. And I still struggle. But I want to commend to you today. Jesus can't be in the backseat. Even if you're doing good work, he has to have the wheel. Not to get corny. Jesus, take the wheel. And then we get to this last half here, and I'll be quick. The last half, it seems like it doesn't make sense. Verse 3, it says, Behold, Behold, children are heritage from God. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Kids are pretty cool, right? What he's saying here is the best example of the Lord's work, the best thing I can give you to make sure your life is not worthless is the raising of children. Think about this. What value is your life? How will your life be uh, uh, powerful if your life isn't passed on? If you don't replace yourself, Children are a gift from God. When we raise them up, even in our youth, they are a blessing. And they are advocates for you. As you age, if there's trouble in your life, they come alongside you. And that's what the in the old ancient Near East they would go to the gate of the city to deal with the judgments and things like that and disagreements. And here it's saying that they're like a they're like a powerful weapon, projectiles being shot out, carrying your name and your vision. And your faith. The most powerful leaders. The people who we would look at and we hold up at high esteem and we say, their life really meant something. It was because they replaced themselves. And what better Way to carry on your legacy than the influence that you have in your children and your children's children. Children are the great value to our lives, children are God's plan to move forward, children are a powerful. Powerful agent of the gospel. And you hear this, you hear a lot of excuses now. I I know some of us either can't have kids or some of us don't have kids or some of us are thinking, I'm a teenager and you told me not to even think about kids. All of us should be influencing the generation behind us. We should be influencing and investing in the people behind us. So many, uh, so many of us complain about millennials. And sometimes I pause and I think, and I may be a millennial, I'm not sure. Don't judge me. Just kidding. But sometimes I pause and I think, Millennials are so bad. I'd like to see their parents. We, we are the hope for the future because we raise up the future. The, these are some of the excuses we hear. And I actually heard this one time. The world is too dark to bring up kids. I met this powerful couple one time who were doing great ministry in their city and they were about my age at the time in their 30s and, and I said, hey, you, got, you know, do you guys have kids? He's like, no. We, we felt like the world is just so dark that we couldn't, we couldn't bring up kids in this world. <laughs> have you read the Bible? One of your greatest purposes, if not the purpose of humanity, is to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And I, I'm not a shy guy, so I told him this. And I said, it's time to get fruity. <laughs> and he looked at me like, this guy's crazy. Now he has 10 kids. No, I have no idea. Here's some of the other excuses we hear. It's too expensive right now. I don't, I don't know, you know. And it, I have three kids. People look at me like I'm crazy. Pastor Scott has five kids. Sometimes people look at him like he's Amish. <laughs> it's, God is big enough, okay? You have to decide what his plan is, not yours. People have raised kids on much, much, much less. I'm not good with kids. That's ridiculous you realize that 85% of believers, somewhere around there, I've seen different numbers of this, they become believers, this is all Christians, before they're adults? I just, I just not go with kids. The greatest hope is the upbringing of our children and investing in our children. Some of us say, I've done my share. Every season of life gives you special perspective and tools and abilities and resources for the greatest work, investing in the future, investing in our kids, investing in those younger than you. What value is a grandfather to his grandchildren? What value, what value is that, that, that very learned, tested, proven, I got the experience in my job. What value are you to the newcomer? How about the freshman in high school? What value is the senior? Take them alongside. The culture you could create in your student ministry by bringing up the young people. Every season of life, God is saying here, children are my work. I'm gonna end with this. I was a little depressed, um, in the, in the springtime, I, I went out to visit my grandfather. And um, he's at that stage in life where things are, are coming to an end. He's in his late 80s. He's not well. And um, just to put it in perspective, when I got there, he said, Josh, I want you to do my funeral. I would love to, Gramps. And we spent a couple days there, and I was really struggling with it, you know, because he he just I just was broken that I'm going to lose him in the future. I see his world coming apart. He doesn't. He can't drive anymore. He's losing his privileges. He's his friends are gone. There's all these things. You know, how do you look, how do you even keep your morale up when this stuff is happening? Even his own health is leaving him. And we would go through these pictures. We were going through all kinds of pictures, pictures of him in the military, pictures of of trips that they had taken, pictures of of just all kinds of different things. And some of it, you know, he, he laughed about or was excited to show me, you know. He's a Korean war vet, very proud. I'm very proud of him. But a lot of that he didn't even remember. (laughs) Even that was going. But I left there learning something and feeling different. Because before we left, he's he's an aggressive dude. (laughs) He he poked me in the chest. And I went bent down to give him a hug and he poked me in the chest and he said, You don't worry about me. I know where I'm going. He said, He said, I want you to preach on Romans. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He's poking me. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I love you, and I'm proud of you. and he's not a man for many words, so that was about it. And I walked off thinking, his children and his grandchildren, I can carry his name forward. His faith will go on and even be better as I can be faithful I can be his arrows to this world. This job as a manager, that came to an end. All his trophies that he got golfing, they all got thrown out. But his legacy lives on in his daughter and in her children and in their children. The man I am today is because he loved enough And put his put his heart enough in God so that the work would go forward. Each one of us. This is our call. That our lives will be filled with worth and value. I want my life to count. I don't want to be ordinary. I want to be extraordinary. Would you join me today? Would you get in that basket? Would you put your trust in him? Would you put yourself in a humble position to say, God, what do you want? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, we've said a lot today, and I ask that you would just you would bless, Lord, bless the reading of your word. Lord, convince us of your love for us. Show us your plan and your will for our lives, Lord, and help us to move forward, Lord, as we trust in you. Rid us of anxiety, Lord God, and give us your peace. And Father, may this church be a beacon of light for the name of Jesus Christ in a hurt and dying world, Lord. We give this to you in your name. Amen.